This is the South African Composers Archive. Um, and we will jump straight into it. Yes, I see a nodding on the Skype. He's playing all the greatest hits. Uh, <laughs> you will know my next guest uh, with for her work with groups such as Inclementine, the Inclement Quartet, Pantalemon, Gold Fox, Pergola, and the Nightlight Collective, formerly the Shart Ensemble. Uh, you will know her for her albums Things That Grow and Cedar, and to the best of my knowledge, by the time I'm finished with the sentence, there should be another three that are being released. Um, you will know her as one of the co-founding members of the Betwixt concert series that she formed with Nicola de Toy. I'd like to introduce via Skype from Johannesburg uh, with a Zoom, so we might actually, you might actually be able to hear what, what the other person is saying for a change. Uh, multi-instrumentalist, singer, improviser, composer, Cara Stacy, yay! Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> welcome. It, it only took uh, I don't know ten episodes. I felt that uh, I, I well, I've recorded ten, so you're technically my eleventh. Um, uh, the tenth is is will be released at a later stage, but that's another point. Uh, that's okay. another story. Uh, but the point is is that I felt after three episodes of speaking to complete strangers who I've never known my uh, never spoken to or met before, I would reward myself with a treat of someone who I know really well and uh, a nice chilled <laughs> conversation of presumably things we probably spoke about often. But uh, mm. let's put it down on paper for the first time, as it were. So, who or what inspired you to start a career in music? I don't know. <laughs> that might be my answer to a bunch <laughs> of things today, by the way. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess my parents probably, they kind of forced me to have lessons when I was a kid. Right. <laughs> I was a reluctant music student. And then as time went on, I was, I was interested in being a painter. Right. I was interested in like visual arts. Uh, when I was in high school. So that was just kind of where I was going. And then I had a wonderful teacher in high school, a Bulgarian woman called Ron Ronnie Karajov. She lives in New Zealand now. Um, but she was really great. She encouraged me to compose. She was my piano teacher as well. And she, I guess, yeah, she kind of inspired me, I guess. She left before I finished school. Um, and then as I was kind of deciding what to study at university, I was it was between... <laughs> art music and social work okay and right at right at the last minute i kind of rearranged everything so that music was at the top right um so yeah but i guess i mean i, we, I grew up with a lot of music mostly from my father's side a lot of classical music from my mother's side a lot of african different types of african music um and the pretenders because she's a <laughs> she just right me. and right. sinead o'connor <laughs> right. um random mix but uh yeah, I guess there was always a lot of music around. My dad is a guitarist and a pianist, uh, not as professionally, but um, so they always encouraged my playing. And I think I, I started with clarinet and was very, very reluctant. All I wanted to do was play piano. And then when I was in, when I moved to the bush, <laughs> to Swaziland, there were obviously no, the only instrument you could learn was uh, voice or piano. So that's when I started right. piano a little bit later on. Um, yeah, and then I just really enjoyed it. That all changed when I when I came to music college. <laughs> that you stopped enjoying <laughs> I got, music. I, got, I became <laughs> no, I became very neurotic after that. But during high school, I was just extremely happy to play. And with Ronnie, she kind of, I was writing some orchestral stuff, not 
particularly good, but she really encouraged me to write this and I just really enjoyed it. So I guess probably her and my parents to begin with. Right. I think that that's something that I've noticed, uh, well, definitely from my own experience as well, where the thing of like, you know, when you're at school and you're in high school, I, I never used to have any kind of problems with like concert nerves or any of that kind of shit. And then suddenly you're put in an environment where everyone, I guess, mentally starts sinking and starts sinking, literally, just kind of, of like, you know, oh, God, oh, God, the pressure. And like now everyone yeah. can hear how I sound. And unfortunately, uh, you kind of lose just that sort of like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't fucking care. And like, you know, you just that. Yeah. That the playfulness well, also, of playing, I guess. Well, also, the thing is that. When I was a kid, I was at JCE here in Joburg, so I was playing in like the wind ensemble, and I was playing quite a lot, even though I wasn't the most enthusiastic clarinetist. When I went to Swaziland, there was almost there were very 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 few opportunities to even hear live music, never mind to play. Right. So so some stuff happened at school, there were concerts and whatever, but they weren't very frequent. So, I mean, I just played mostly for myself and for my family and whatever and sometimes with other people but generally just by myself so when I came to college it was quite a you know it was one of those classic um small town girl to moderately sized city (laughs) stories (laughs) but I also I mean I had been one of three people who was who took music as a subject so it was really a small pond and then yeah I I definitely because I hadn't had a lot of performance experience, I had a lot of performance anxiety when I was younger. Right. Um, and studying classical music probably didn't really help with that because. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. Well, there wasn't. I mean, I, I checked out a lot of stuff to do with performance anxiety um, and lots of different strategies and stuff. Uh, so I learned a lot about like psychology, like performance psychology and whatever. Um, right. And it's all fine. Everything's fine now and has been for a long time. But anyone who knows me from early college days knows that like it was it was just quite a radical change for me coming from literally next to a river. Right. <laughs> There's quite a yeah, I, there was some kind of culture shock. Yeah. Because I went from like, oh my gosh, just you write beautiful things and do your thing and play piano and do um to like called the college of music which was just a very different environment you will not write beautiful things you will yeah no so i mean the thing is is that college was actually i kind of embraced it and i actually did really enjoy it and i met all you guys and it was all kind of fabulous i was i'm a very very diligent person so just put a book in front of me and i'm pretty much good to go but uh, yeah it was just a very different experience musical experience you mentioned that you you'd started writing you know symphonic works or whatever by yourself uh, it, i assume it was sort of for the draw as it were like you weren't writing for anyone to play it per se or just to to create well i'll say that right now there is a chamber orchestra in mbabane okay that's only of the past like year or two years <laughs> before that like i saw a cello once because a spanish exchange student had one and like the that's literally the background that I came from. So, and there was one other clarinetist who was also on an exchange, and that's it. So, so yeah, no, I wrote. I think it was part of. I didn't do matric. I did like a international baccalaureate, so like a kind of two-year program, and I did composition, not performance. So then I had a port. I had to submit a portfolio, and one of the works was like an orchestral work, probably not very long. I can't remember now. So I guess it was more just about the experience of doing it without any real 
thought of anything or anyone playing it apart from Sibelius. <laughs> right. So, I mean, what was the first time that someone then approached you and said, hey, I'd like you to write something? Or, or was it a case of, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I listed a lot of bands that, that you've been involved in or groups, was the first time that kind of situation of, like, I'm going to write something for myself to, to perform with other people? I guess it's probably a, the time after... I mean, I studied composition one or two years, I think, at college with Peter Claxo. Um, and then probably, so I wrote some little things for that. Um, there was a piece, at least one piece, I think, was performed at the Baxter way back when I was very young. Um, but then probably the first time I w- was actively writing and I was regularly writing after that was with Inclementine, with Galena Juritz and Natalie Mason. Because it started with Galena and I, uh, for about a year almost, meeting once or twice a week and writing music together. Um, and then Natalie joined us the second year and she'd, she'd also done quite a bit of writing and then we kind of put everything together and helped finish things off for each other. It was, I think that was probably the most intensive time of writing as a pretty much an adult. Good example of sort of like your earlier earlier work so I guess probably some like I mean I've done a lot more improvising or like fusion composing improvising depending on how you'd like to use those terms in the probably the past five six years so um, I put out in this album things that grow in 2015 we recorded it kind of early on in 2014 in the UK um, and that I had written, my plan for that was to write new music for the indigenous musical bows that I had studied at college and that I played a lot after that. And then I, so the plan was, it was more like an experiment really, just to see what I would write if I wasn't going to be playing traditional repertoire, right. what my sound on those instruments would be. And I spent oh, quite a few tortured months trying to come up with different ideas or different kinds of structures so that the, the bows weren't like, put at the back it was an ensemble an ensemble experiment but they didn't fall back into certain kind of positions within the ensemble you know in kind of stereotypical ways so but actually in the end I wrote a lot of stuff then like lots of little sketches of things and I had all these ideas I actually pretty much chucked most of it on the day okay because <laughs> it was an experiment it was kind of about just working out what worked um, in studio and things were quite different uh, to how I'd imagined, um, and we didn't have, re- we had no, re- it was literally an experiment, we had no rehearsal, we just walked into studio and just, just played around okay. <laughs> to see what would happen, but there is something from that that I, I'd written this melody, clarinet melody, 
And my idea was that that would have, there would be a bow kind of structure, repetitive structure. And then, because I was playing with this idea of like cyclical or cyclical listening. And then there would be this clarinet, maybe a little bit in terms of tonal things, but kind of a free clarinet melody that would fit on top of that. Because often with the bows as well is that they set up a certain tonal zone. And the kind of harmonic language I like doesn't necessarily fit into that unless you add, unless you write specifically, I don't know, atonal things or things in another key or you stretch things harmonically, if you know what I mean. Because everything is related to the harmonic, harmonic series of the fundamental tones of the bows. So then you end up, everything ends up being quite um, tonal. So then the piece that I like is my like personal favorite of that album is called Fox. And that is that, that clarinet melody, which Shibaka Hutchings plays on, on, clarin- on B-flat clarinet. And yeah, it was kind of, it gave it a different color, I think, to have an mhube mouth bow kind of basis. And then, and in that case, actually take on a kind of back seat. The bows were taking on a back, taking a back seat in that situation. And then Shabaka's melody on top. Right. Or my melody, played by Shabaka.
so yeah that's probably an early thing that I really love still and I think it's it I was writing a lot of um, single line melodic stuff like that at that time Right, 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 right. So, I mean, like you mentioned briefly that, you know, that you went into the album and you, uh, not into the album, went into the studio and uh, for want of a better word, you wing it. I mean, like it, it is, there's improvisatory stuff to it. There's obviously some pre-prepared mm-hmm. things to it. So yeah. what is your process outside of like, if you have the improv side of things, how do you put something together? Um, you know, is there elements of improvisation to it beforehand or do you have a slightly more structured way of approaching things? Well, I think it depends what I'm writing for and how I'm writing, what it is. Everything right. is completely different. And this is, I guess, a little bit to do with my life, my working life in general, where like they're just all of these balls in the air and they're all quite different, whether it's free improv or my research work or just admin stuff or playing piano or like composing and for different ensembles or whatever um so but i mean overall i feel like a pianist okay which is good after a lifetime of playing um but i (laughs) but i write i like to write on piano right which probably i don't know which is probably not amazing for like when i write for nightlight collective or but but i often think when i am writing i think i think like a pianist I think about chordal things I think about I think harmonically in terms of shapes and things that I like on piano and certain types of harmonies and and kind of dense harmonies if I'm writing on Sibelius then I I guess there was a time when I I was listening very randomly listening to a lot of Ugandan um, Amadinda and Akadinda music which does this hocket thing and that's also been quite an influence because I I often I like especially when it comes to string writing, I like to break things up or have like pizzicato bits or little triplets that are broken up between parts. So then, I mean, I often, I think about that on piano and I've written like that for piano, but also when in an ensemble, I like to play around with that texture, which I, I realize now when I'm just working away from the piano, that often seeps in, in one way or another. Um, so yeah, but in terms of process, just as Nikki Shrero was saying, just messy process. <laughs> As you know better than most people about my own work, um, because I'm generally juggling like a million things, I often have a, a kind of long period of things marinating, um, or lots of little sketches. Generally, not particularly happy with any of the little sketches. I've got these notebooks that are just filled with sketches. I was gonna say, like, I mean, one thing I remember when we when we were working on. Sorry, I completely interrupted you, but like when we were working oh, on. Uh, when we did uh, a sort of a reworked version of Things That Grow with the then Shot Ensemble, um, mm-hmm. how I was very aware that you had, like, notebooks constantly. It's sort of like, you you know, we'd be like, okay, what song are we doing? And you'd quickly go to the book, have a quick look, like, okay, that that's it, right, okay, cool. Um, they, I mean, I've, I've backed them all up because if I lose those, like, my, my working life is over. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I've got a... I like to write... I mean, I have little manuscript books, and I like to write... I like to put all the ideas in the book. I have an idea that if I close the little notebook, it all just marinates while I'm not... Okay. <laughs> while I'm doing something else. But... Um, and in some ways it does, because often... Often I just find voicings of chords or things, and I just quickly sketch, put them down, and then later on, if I'm 
I don't know, looking for a contrasting section for something or whatever. If I scratch around, there's a lot in the pot in these little books. Right, right. You can find little things that, like, I wrote in 2013 when I was at SOAS and I just put down, like, one or two different chords that I was I was improvising and I just found some little things and I then I can find those things in there. And also that goes, it's not just compositional stuff, like, sometimes it's research-related stuff or tunings mm. of instruments and it's all kind of in the books. So... But I mean, there's always a point where you have to <laughs> move away and then like create an actual score. And I think you know more than anyone else that sometimes the diligence that takes that you need in order to create a really neat and good detailed score, I kind of that takes a lot of energy for me. <laughs> yeah, I th- but I mean, I think also um, maybe I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but like there have been other ways that that you've solve that problem in inverted commas where like doing something like a visual score i mean it, like the 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 work of yours which name i have not forgotten which i should know because we've played it yeah yeah i don't know like i mean i'm assuming putting something like a visual score like that together in inverted commas is easier mm. like i don't know is it easier is it harder to well, that was actually that was an experiment that's something i worked on in this past year when i was in switzerland uh, I was doing a lot of improvising then, like completely free improv, um, a lot. Basically, that's all I did when I was in Switzerland. Um, and well, apart from write a whole lot of little sketches in my little notebooks that didn't turn, that haven't yet turned into anything. Um, but that was kind of an experiment because I was just wondering, like, about the process of having some kind of visual trigger when you're improvising with people. Yeah. And the shapes that that could take. Um, in that case it was not such a specific guide as graphic scores can be you know they can be really really like super annotated and detailed yeah yeah Uh, but more like that was more kind of conceptual so each movement has a certain sometimes a certain role but they can be there's a freedom to how you interpret the images as well yes you can agree on as a group I mean, it's also, um, like, I mean, what you were drawing was also very specific in as much as that, like, you had the one movement was all the rivers and it, and it, and it's offshoots or tributaries. Is that the correct word? Yeah. I, I, yes, yes, yes. I dropped yes. geography in standard nine, I think. Um, but, yeah. um, and, like, you know, then another movement would be, like, here are plant shapes or things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, so that was a... I mean, I'm not sure if I did a graphic score again, if it would be like that. Or if it would be, or if I'd want to try something a little bit more prescribed. But I've kind of enjoyed that process of being able to play that piece with a bunch of different people. And it basically sounds completely different every time. It's come very, very fluid. But yeah. in my head, conceptually and kind of emotionally, it still is the same thing. Yes, def- definitely. I mean, like, we've, so we've done it a couple of times and each time has been different mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there is, I as you, from a performer side of you, because you have that guide as it were you know sort of like what you're trying to do if that makes sense like as opposed to just like i'm now free free improving and like what happens happens yeah yeah no that i mean the, the notebook thing going back to that like i think of like i i've tried sketching stuff i have the closest that i have to that is a folder of uh tons and tons of half started Sibelius file and every every now and then like uh, there was a time where I I started deleting them because it's like I'm never going back to this or like this is wow. just my sound world is so different or whatever um, Oof, that kind of it slightly 
it, it makes my OCD and my like hoarding <laughs> tendencies like. <laughs> well, I mean, like I the 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 funny thing with that is I remember there was a it's my second piano trio which I almost deleted because I was just like I at one point I had started so many files that were called piano trio two. Because I was just like, you know, this is the one. And it's like, nope, <laughs> like, try again. <laughs> and I remember one point, like, almost deleting this thing, listening back to it, and then realizing that I, I'd, in the context of the piece, I'd written an entire first movement, as it were, had zero fucking recollection of writing it. Mm. Um, but it was just this kind of like, I remember playing it to, I think to Nicola going like, what do you think yeah. of this? It's just like, that's really cool. It's like, I know, right? Like no fucking idea that it, that it existed or so. Yeah, no, it's maybe well, the thing is I'm also, I'm, I'm quite a sensory and like visual person. So like, I like, I also, I've always had notebooks that I draw in and like write little things in and keep little sketches of stuff like actual graphic sketches. So it's a complete, I mean, I have a huge, I literally have a big box that just arrived from Cape Town that's filled with them. Right. So it, I, I do, I like to have the material thing and I like to be able to just open it and say, oh, interesting. Hugh Tracy is a tuning, a, Sh- a Shivambi tuning from Mozambique that I just wrote down there. Right. One day I may use <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> little scribbles that probably are like indecipherable to anybody else, but um but yeah, the key is backing them up. Like I take, I literally take photos of all the pages and back them up because okay. otherwise I will lose in crucial things. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, you mentioned a little bit earlier of, of like influences and such. Um, who or what are your biggest influences musically? Yeah, I mean, I had to have a think about that because I just listen to a lot of different stuff. And because I play a lot of different styles of music, uh, it can really vary, but I'd say probably there's a French composer called Colleen, composer and musician. Yes. She's a viola da gamba player, and I guess people call her like a minimalist composer of some kind, but she, I absolutely love her music and all, every single thing that she's done. Um, it's a lot of looped stuff, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of textural things, it's a very heavy string sound often, not always, but often. Um, so with the musical bow stuff, I feel like there's some kind of link between that. And I just like, I like how she, because she's not, a, and I guess this also depends on like definitions and whatever, but she's not a composer composer. Right. She is, but she also isn't. She's kind of defies that, those boundaries. It's, I also love that you can listen to someone who has numerous reviews on like The Quietus or The Wire, um, or I don't know, Pitchfork, who also... Um, I don't know, who kind of builds up structures in, without adhering to any kind of classic song structures or like there's one album where she just uses vocal bits and she, I think there was an interview I read where she said she hadn't sung much before then and she'd always felt a little shy about singing and then she just takes tiny little bits of phrases and ingeniously like sews them together into little loops so, so that the words kind of, you start to lose track of the beginning or end of the phrase. Yeah. But she just repeats those in this so it's it's like breaking down the usual stereotypical structures, which I really like. Um, mostly because I'm not a great songwriter. So <laughs> I never was able to stick to those things anyway. So I really like it when people take feel some kind of freedom structurally. And she yeah. definitely like all and, and it's also just beautiful music. It's quite delicate. It's what I guess people historically would have said there's kind of a feminine sound. 
Right. Which I find historically people would have said that. Which I also, as I've gotten older, I've just started to enjoy and not feel ashamed of and just kind of embraced in my own writing and playing and that's like tonally and structurally and in lots of different ways so she's just a badass basically Um, (laughs) so i really like her um i really like james blake who's an electronic kind of producer and singer pian pianist and whatever he's definitely in the pop world but i also i really love uh the darkness of his music and the production stuff is just incredible so those are influences that that go across for me I think of those musicians in all different ways depending on what I'm writing I mean not depending at all on what I'm writing like it can be for Nightlight Collective it can be like a string quartet arrangement and I still think of those two people right right. but then there's tons of other stuff Um, I love a lot of like um, popular African music like Franco some West African bands like Bembea Jazz Nacional there's there are things there's certain albums that I listen to, like all the time, yeah. and they and I'm also looking always for those those like little textures and patterns that I like to bring into my own writing, across many many genres. I was just thinking with the 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 loop station side of things or the the using a loop pedal or what Colleen has done has done. Um, it is that thing of like I find and the loop loop pedal is something that quite a few people. Uh, use and I guess a slightly more kind of like pop music setting but it, it, it like hearing the stuff that she does I find very encouraging it, it as you said like it, it breaks out of like the usual way of, of looping things or like how many how big the loop is because after a while like and uh, shots fired to who anyone who maybe has based their entire career on a loop station um, mm. like it, it ends up having Every single song ends up literally sounding the same. It is such like an old person mm-hmm. thing to say, but structurally all the songs are the same. It becomes like a here is your four bar hook. Then you can add it's another really four like bar. That. Then you can add another four bars and then like, you have the chorus and you hit it all off for a brief moment and then you bring it all back yeah. kind of thing. You know There's some people who can use it in a very like virtuosic way. Like there's this tune yards band, this woman who's like she's incredible. I've seen her live a few times, like but 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 I think that's the tendency. So I also have like loop pedals and whatever. But I was just, I'm just too irreverent for these things because right. when I put it on, I make these asymmetrical loops. Yes. Loops. So yeah. Like I just mishmash things all around. And I, and it's probably because I should have practiced and learned how to use it properly. I mean, I know how to use it properly, but actually practiced it so it's extremely accurate. Right. But actually, I just like the mess. So, yes. So that, <laughs> so. Maybe Colleen is not such a good example of that because her work is extremely neat and 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 careful and serious. But um, I guess that's more... I don't know. I quite like when things unexpectedly pop up uh, in a musical space. Yes, yeah. Or, and so when I'm improvising and when I'm doing live stuff, like I'd rather things... I'd like things to be sound a little bit more interesting and not so... That's my just my personal taste. Right. Um, and, and I also... Those those structures those kind of more stereotypical they freak me out they freak me out (laughs) is it because you can see what's coming or like probably (laughs) (laughs) i like it when other people use them in skillful ways but i think something about them i kind of run away from i have this image literally looping things or like 
writing a song that actually has like verses and a chorus. Yeah, I, I have this image of you sitting the audience turning to someone next to you going, he's going to chorus now. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, Are you all going. ready to sing along? Here we go. Three, yeah. two, wait, one more bar. And there's it. There's the new one. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so exactly. Besides for, for shredding other people's arts, how would you describe your current style? So it's weird brilliantly segued. <laughs> very good. Um, it's weird because, as you know, like my writing is so erratic. Um, I've been much more of a consistent improviser, which is just bizarre because there was a time when I never improvised. So it's it's strange for me to think about that. But I mean, the past couple of years, um, I've gotten so deep into free improvisation um, with a variety of different musicians. It's, you know, when I was in Switzerland, but also Camilo Angeles, who's from Peru, who I recorded an album with. Um, and and I found so much freedom in that. So so when I have written scored things or more structured things, whether they were scored or not, um, it's been there's always these big breaks between, which means that I don't think I necessarily there's just lots of the craft that that I haven't nailed. And you, you always get the WhatsApp saying, how do you do this again? How right. do you do this again? Right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> But, For the last uh, time, it's spelled C L A R I N. Like, yeah, no. But um, so yeah, right now, I mean, I I spent this time in Switzerland last year, and then I was in South America, and I think I'm a little. When I was in South America, I started learning guitar and I started singing and and actually writing some words. So then I kind of I guess I'd moved a little bit out of my free improv, intense free improv time. So, so a lot of the stuff that I, the recordings that I'm kind of fixing up and editing right now are from Switzerland and pre-Switzerland. And those are all like sometimes the most intense free improv, some, some of which I can't even listen to. So now it feels like a weird transition time. I mean, I've been writing, I've written a couple of songs. Um, I've gone back to other scored things and, and thought about like rearranging them either for duo or trio or, or for us, for you, myself and Nicola or for myself and Nicola um so yeah I I can't really say because things are in in flux at the moment I don't know what to say about that but I think I mean and this I guess goes with the the more improvisatory thing you know you as an improviser you can have certain gestures that you sometimes fall back on so Mm -hmm. I guess I don't know if this is building to a question but it's just that thing of like do you think then like having now done it for a while that you've almost kind of like stepped away from those gestures isn't like, you know, learned to be more free or do you fall back on those gestures more often? If that makes sense. Can, yeah, yeah, it does. I think I think it's always a challenge to be free. Yeah. It's kind of like some kind of Zen path. Because and I, and when I was in Switzerland I played in this ensemble and that was so interesting. Really, really good jazz and classical people and composers and whatever, but they were all quite heavy free players. And it was really interesting. The playing was nice and lots of people who had invented instruments and were, you know, killer bass players and the 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 kind of ensemble was really lovely anyway. But what I found most interesting were the talks afterwards when people were kind of analysing what had happened and how what the dynamic was. Because I guess in my head, it, with my limited experience, it feels like so much of free playing is about relationships. It's actually, it can get quite esoteric. It's so much about the people you play with and it's about a process. It's about your musicianship, like 
literally in the moment. Like if you're tired, you can fall back on things, patterns or flourishes or things that are comfortable for you. But if, I mean, if you're an active free player and you're kind of continually pushing yourself forward, which which I don't know if I was until I spent time with those people and I played with a bunch of people who their analysis afterward really taught me a lot about the free path, the way of the free player. Right. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's challenging if you're going to do it really well. When you hear people really killing it, like there's, pro- there's nothing better. It's completely amazing. It's completely musical. It's completely engaging. But often, just like with anything, there's so many dynamics that could, could change the quality of the playing. And sometimes I've played free stuff where I feel absolutely like completely connected with other performers and felt like it was a really musical and delicious experience. Other times I've played and thought, oh, like I was tired and you can hear that my ideas were not there. I wasn't actually bringing that much or maybe I wasn't listening so well. Right. Maybe I was bringing too much because I was just tired and I was just dominating things or whatever. All of those dynamics which you can can keep you up at night. <laughs> yes. It's a, like I guess on that level like I mean I've done a little bit of free improv stuff like with you and 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 Nicola and the rest of Nightlight but there have been some some sessions you know where like on that level I'm too much of a composer because there have been some sessions where at the back of my mind there's that like why aren't you improvising what I want you to do it like kind of, <laughs> clearly what I'm doing is like follow me yeah. god damn it like <laughs> yeah. you know well this is the thing that's like quite addictive about it because it's so much about these dynamics and like communication yeah outside of being able to like talk about a structure <laughs> Or talk about a dynamic so so but i played in switzerland i i played with this woman antonio havens i can't pronounce any german very well uh, a harp player and and also she'd done a lot of movement and other kinds of improvisation and it was so wonderful playing with her because she she also just the way she spoke about things afterwards it was so thoughtful and it was so careful and it was really like uh, Galina and myself and her also played at some point together. I really learned a lot from just listening to her talk or analyze like what had happened and what worked and what didn't work. Because I mean, if you don't know much about free improv and you listen to it, it sounds like a cacophony. It right. can sound like a yes. But if you, the more you know about it, the more there is to know, obviously. And you kind of, the more you play, the more you realize what it takes to really be a good player. So yeah, and for me, like, it dep- you know people. There are all these different terms about it. like I know coilless is instant composition I think and um, for me they they are very different methods of making sounds and making music but a lot of the time when I'm improvising on the piano that's where I find a lot of my especially harmonic ideas for more kind of set writing um, so they all I feel like the free improv opens me up to creatively and allows me to do and when I listen to free improv this is a bit of a confession when I go to free improv concerts, when they're really good, I can solve all my life's problems. <laughs> I, solutions just come into my head. It's like it triggers something neurologically and I just start solving problems like mad. Whether they're compositional things that I kind of got stuck on or just like administrative things or life plans or whatever. I just, all these, my brain just like switches on in right. concerts and I walk out having like resolved everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story I think I remember sending the shot group, which was um, or the chat group rather, where it was sort of like improv concert disasters, 
and someone described a story of being at a show where like the 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 improv had had peaked and it was beginning to sort of like dwindle down and like get to a nice conclusion but there was one person in the group who just kept of kind of like trying to go and to keep trying to like raise it again until yeah. someone someone in the audience quite a respected musician and improviser literally yelled shut up and just like sort of realized like okay and then sort of naturally dwindled and went quiet and just like dude read the room pre-improv life is like is like it is like life like people with emotional problems like it's it's immediately it 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 lays everything bare like instantly you can see the people who have like ego issues who want to who feel like they have something to prove yeah, I mean, it's just so many things are just immediately apparent about people's personalities also, which is always interesting. I recently read a book um, which is about a very brilliant pianist, Steve Beresford, in the UK. He's, a, he's an improviser, but he also plays um, a lot of more contemporary stuff. At some point, he was doing a tour of some cage works around the UK, and and it was really lovely. He doesn't... Uh, he's got an incredible sense of humour, so does it... So, it hasn't come out yet. The book's going to come out, I think, this year. Right. It's a really wonderful read for people interested in creative process. But he um, he just doesn't practice between performances. Right. And he's a, he's a very respected pianist, but he doesn't... I, and I guess a lot of people have different approaches to like how you remain completely open to spontaneity. But yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Intensely knowledgeable person about so many different types of music, has played so many different styles of music and composed a lot. Um, but a very quite a hardcore approach to free improv. Right. So, uh, but anyway, the thing is, Switzerland can you know put you off because there really is so much free improv. So I, that's what I was saying. I'm just in this moment of flux now. So speaking of uh, free um, improv uh, things, we were talking before I hit record about an example of something a little more current. Yes, this is a this is an actually unmixed and unedited recording. So it's it's yet to be edited and sorted out uh but it's an album well it's from a recording session i did in switzerland with beat keller who's a guitarist um and great improviser and just generally and also great composer generally lovely dude um and we the whole way through my two and a half months in switzerland we kind of played together um and then right at the end we recorded this so it it came at the end of of a long day of recording some way out things super way out things he plays this feedback guitar which has uh was made by uh, there's a norwegian guy i think who makes these kind of frankenstein guitars and plays one of them yeah so it was a kind of improvised song it was quite melodious at the end of a day of like quite challenging music to play and to make and to listen to but i'm quite fond of it even though it needs editing and i was exhausted by that point in the day um but it was kind of a spontaneous little moment of like sweet sounding tonal things.
So, the drinking game continues. The, the hard questions begin. Uh, how do you survive or make a living as a musician or as a composer and as a composer? Yeah, uh, it's not easy. I'm a little sleep deprived currently because it can get quite anxiety inducing at times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm lucky because I have a PhD. Well, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but basically, I, I, <laughs> I'm pretty I certain you have a PhD. <laughs> like... well, no, I, that is undeniable. Um, yeah. I have academic work, which pretty much pays my bills. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do most of the experimental musical stuff that I do. Um, so, but I mean, academia is also a fickle friend. So, I'm kind of bob between the two things of kind of musical life of playing and composing and doing recently doing a little bit of sound design and that kind of thing and then writing about music and doing research so this year is a more focused year of me turning my PhD into a book manuscript um, so that'll mean a lot more time in Swaziland a lot more time working with rural musicians probably more time playing both than playing piano so yeah so it, it's it's kind of a mix Generally, it has been a mix since I actually since I got my PhD. It's been a mix of different things, a little bit of teaching, and lecturing. Although now I'm not, I don't have any piano students currently, um, which I'm enjoying. <laughs> I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the the break. I actually yes. really love teaching piano, but but I'm, it's, sometimes it's nice to take a little break. So yeah, just a total mix. But I mean, it's an important issue because even in terms of academia, I think there needs to be an honest conversation about how people are surviving yeah. because. I have a postdoc this year. I had a postdoc last year, like a fellowship that doesn't give you a lot of money, but it it kind of covers the basics. Um, but then, in order to make up any difference, you know, you often you're like restricted and you're not actually able to earn more or do any other work or be on right. a certain number of hours or whatever. So it's always it's exhausting having these two careers at the same time. But but when I look around, I see most of the people I know, including some pretty fancy famous people I know, like in the UK and in Europe, they are, <laughs> everyone's in the same position, apart from one or two fabulously famous people. But everybody else is kind of in a similar situation where you're juggling one thing with another, either teaching or another type of job, other types of work that are not musical maybe, or lecturing or kind of always on the periphery which gives you freedom but also completely <laughs> uh, can be really tiring no i mean something that Dying i deadlines I've, I've noticed that you do quite a bit as well as you have sort of like artist and residency kind of things or mm -hmm. uh you do a lot of touring as well um well yeah so that's allowed me that's kind of covered things for me as well because honestly i didn't have enough money to live on last year so if i hadn't had two residencies that fed me and bathed me and clothed me <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not actually sure I would have made ends meet ultimately um, um, but yeah I mean I've been really lucky because there is in South Africa and in lots of other parts of the world you know you can there are some limited opportunities for funded residencies and I've I've gotten a bunch of them I've been right. I think I've gotten all the ones now that a southern African could get and okay. I'm very grateful for that <laughs> Because it does, like in Switzerland, you know, you go and you, you make work and you, you play with people and you kind of create connections, creative connections with people. Um, and they really support you in a very generous way. The same, I was just in Brazil now and that was the same. 
as well. It can be quite grueling because you're just taken into another context completely and you're just alone, generally. Um, alone with your own insecurities and your own work and your own expectations of what you, what creatively you should be doing. Um, so it can be a little bit difficult, but yeah, I've been pretty lucky. That's really helped me financially as well as creatively. So of all the various uh, performances and such that you have done, what is your favorite concert memory? Yeah, there are a bunch of, there've been a bunch of good ones. I really loved playing with Shart that is now the Nightlight Collective, doing the things that grow. I mean, I've enjoyed all of those concerts, but the things that grow, string arrangements, and with Clement Benny and Bryden Bolton, I really enjoyed that. That was lovely. That felt, I'd just come back, or I'd recently come back from the UK, so that felt like a really lovely like musical reunion. The launch of Things That Grow that happened at the Vortex in London, I really enjoyed that. There was a, some really nice moments. There's a guy called Dan Levis, um, who mixed the album and played a little bit of synth on that album and he pl I booked him for that gig and at some point an arrangement of a actually it was a composition of mine but from from a much earlier it wasn't on the album we performed it that night and at some point he turned I turned around and he was doing this unbelievable synth solo that I had never thought of that timbre with that piece and right. it was just so wonderful <laughs> it, that was a really lovely like special moment I just thought man that sounds bloody amazing <laughs> um <laughs> so there've been a few things like that i really enjoyed um working on light the wild for the Joburg international mozart fest last year uh, i enjoyed the performance there of the original piece so that was marimba flute uh violin and upright bass but then i also really enjoyed even though i wasn't at that concert i enjoyed when nightlight collective aka shot did this <laughs> The string arrangement of that later on i wasn't there but listening back like i really enjoyed even though it was a stressful performance for you guys i really enjoyed hearing that new iteration of but we piece. sound so calm and collected in a lot of that recording oh, i don't man. know what you're talking yeah. about <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
like they, I played once with Shibaka, who was my partner for a long time, Shibaka Hutchings, and an electronic musician called Leafcutter John, who's in the UK. We played, we warmed up for Colin Stetson in a church in East London. And that was, that was just acoustically an incredible performance. And, and I was playing mouth, I was playing all the instruments I play. Um, and it was just, it felt like a complete orgy of harmonics. Right. It was just so overtony the whole night because Colin Stetson's music is also very overtone heavy and very dense. So that was also a very wonderful experience. Um, but yeah, there've been a bunch. I mean, I, as everyone has said, all the nightlight collective people, working with friends is truly the best. And when you can try stuff out, you know, with you and Nicola, Galina, whatever, it's just wonderful. It's really helps, really helps improve your work as well. But it's a, it's like a warm, welcoming space to try out your musical ideas. So of the pieces, and you, I think you've mentioned some earlier, um, what would you consider to be a favorite of yours? Did I? I can't remember what I decided. Stolen, I think I decided Stolen, Stolen Bush. Bush. Yeah. Stolen Bush. But I mean, I've already spoken about Light the Wild, so that is, it is a favorite, even though it was, it's a fa- yeah, both versions of that are a favorite. Um, and then Stolen Bush, which comes from the Cedar album with Camilo, um, a lot of that recording session was just felt quite special. I really loved that making that album, and I listen back to it, and it still feels very special and kind of connected musically. Yeah, and it's I mean it's completely improvised. Though we had played together so much, and we had also played a lot of composed stuff together, so I know his writing style. I did at that time knew quite well, and so yeah, that's a that's a favorite. You went and you basically you did the whole album in a day. It was another one of those. That one was more extreme. I did things that grow was in one day, a long, long, long day. <laughs> Cedar was in two hours. God, we didn't have, and I can admit this because I guess it might be interesting, but we basically didn't have enough money for a half day or a full day in studio. We had enough money for two hours, and so as like living the free improv life, we were like, okay, we went and got a coffee, we got a pastry, drank them, ate them, set up. Uh, and just played for like an hour and 40 minutes and just walked out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one way of doing it, yeah.
engineers were pretty interested and bemused by the experience but yeah i mean we've been playing a lot together so we were ready yeah psychologically i mean it's a slightly i don't know it, it's different but there are definitely similarities i always think of it's the beatles first album please please me which they recorded in nine hours 
Like the whole album oh, was done. I did not know that. Done on oh. a day. There's there are a couple of lovely articles. I remember reading one on on Rolling Stone. I think it was nine hours, but it it's it's in a day. Like put it like that. Yeah. But there, there's an article that I read where they give like an hour by hour breakdown no of way. how the album was done. Where it's kind of like they they planned everything in a way. They even I think there was a track that they attempted several times, which isn't on the album as well. Um, and they just like sort of built it all the way up to like at the end of the day they're like okay let's do twist and shout like John is now suitably warmed up and like let's just blows is like the thing is I guess it depends on I think it depends on the relationship you have with the people you're working with but it also depends on the music like I've also been in sessions where you know it's just the millionth take and you're like everything's gone fraught and you're yes. just tired and and you actually haven't achieved a whole lot so so i've definitely experienced a mix but um in the for those two albums i have to say it was like a yeah i don't know they just worked out that way because they also weren't expectations it was like let's go and in both of them they were both experiments and it was like let's just see what happens and also to be fair things that grow there was quite a bit of like production that happened afterwards. A guy called Christian and Dan, who I mentioned before, kind of they added some synth on afterwards, and we and there was quite a intensive mixing process that like made it what it is now. So right, right, right. What's the best advice you've ever received from a teacher or a mentor? That's difficult to say because I have some memory issues, okay. <laughs> so I generally can't remember a whole lot unless it's happened very recently, like in the past three to five hours. People who are um, listening, they don't know I have a T-shirt that says my name is Mateus written all over it, yeah. just as a yeah. Just in case I was, I was prepared for this interview. <laughs> I can say, like, having been with Shabaka for a long time, you know, he's a very particular kind of musician and quite a go-getter, as the world might have noticed. Um, but he gave me a lot of good advice. He was he said some stuff about like self-deprecation is the ultimate privilege. <laughs> things like that, which stuck with me because I guess you can get really self-deprecating about things and I think culturally in South Africa we tend to be like that. But it, well, it, it I is am, a privilege. But yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but I mean Shibaka there are a bunch Shibaka's general approach is just like make stuff. Just do stuff. Do stuff every day, make things. And that definitely was a strong influence for me. And I've kind of mostly kept to that. I can't always say it's composing because if there's other paid work that means that I'm writing or I'm doing other writing words rather, then I have to do those things. But like, you know, maybe not overthinking things too much and just getting out there and trying things out and knowing that things are gonna fail a little bit sometimes and things may be spontaneously absolutely wonderful or they may be messy. And I'm okay with mess, as my current <laughs> surrounds <laughs> them. Right. I'm okay with mess, and and I think more often beautiful things come out of that freedom rather than holding everything in and feeling. I, I, controversially, I can say, I, I'm actually not going to mention names, but I had a piano teacher once who also told me he said something along the lines of like, when you perform something it's a gift that you've given you can't you can't halfway like having given it to the person who it was meant for you can't be like uh, okay well if you don't want it like i've got the slip still i can still exchange it and da, 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 before the person has even received it and opened it and and that also kind of stuck with me in terms of performing and playing but also just this thing of continually apologizing for 
what may not work, you know, there's a place for that. And there's a place for analyzing what you yourself do and make. But I think there's also, I don't know, you need to be open. You need to be able to give someone something and be earnest about it and then just put it out there. And maybe it's terrible and maybe it's wonderful and just let it go and move on. Um, I I let go of things quite quickly and move on to new things. (laughs) quite quickly (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if this uh, if that is actually almost kind of answers the next question but what is what would you suggest to an aspiring composer or to the south african scene as a whole i think people you know there's the usual cliched stuff of like supporting artists and blah 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 um there's all of that and i i definitely tried to up lift and support my own scene because I don't want to live in a place where there are no live music venues and hence starting betwixt the concert series and I don't want to live even if I wasn't a musician I wouldn't want to live in a space where creative people weren't able to do things even if they you know I mean the economics of everything is kind of changing now so who knows what's going to happen there are problems with live music all around the world and with like accessibility and all kinds of things to do with it but I guess I, my advice would be to just get out there and hear as much as possible. Some sometimes I've I've been in spaces and just I've just exposed myself to so much new stuff. I've stretched my ears as much as I possibly could, and I, I still strive to continually do that. That I find, even if I hate things, or I hear something that's horrible, or completely self-indulgent, or or whatever, I'm just always the better for having heard a, a new thing. So maybe that's my advice. <laughs> this also ties in actually quite nicely. Tell me a little bit about Betwixt. This is a good place to punt the little, fuck out of it. Um, <laughs> uh, so Betwixt, I have to say that Betwixt is heavily influenced by a concert series I played a lot in London called Club Integral when I lived there. Um, a friend of mine also, who I played with a lot, Natalie Mason, a viola player, very brilliant viola player, who lives in Birmingham now, but she also lived in Cape Town before. She runs a kind of Midlands branch of it. It's a beautiful idea. It's three or four sets, short sets, of completely contrasting stuff. Um, musicians don't earn a lot of money off it, but there is a following because people know that if they're going to go to a club integral night, they're going to hear some weird and wonderful stuff. And maybe some very cliched things, but such a mix that you will get. It's like a tapas of, <laughs> of musical experiences and listening so i i played that a lot and i saw a lot of stuff that was really like creative and amazing and exciting and i really liked the idea and when i came back here at some point i think mahogany room or straight no chaser had closed at that point and then tagore's obviously had been closed for a while a bunch of important venues had just kind of closed and it was very depressing and at that point i was like i'm not ready to move to Joburg yet um being based in cape town at that point I want to do something, even if it's small scale. And I had gone to a residency in America and I met a whole lot of musicians from around the world, like 15 musicians from all over the world. And every single one of them ran a concert series themselves. They were all amazing, like incredible musicians, very brilliant people, but every single one of them contributed to their scene in that way. And I I felt very inspired by that. And I felt a little ashamed that I hadn't thought of maybe doing this before. And then I came back and I I spoke to Nicola, my bestie, and I was like, do you want to do this with me? I'm doing it. And she was like, yes, let's do it. So we basically, it's kind of loosely based on the Club Integral model, 
but also um yeah i mean it's pretty flexible so it's also because a lot of people come through i you know i've the benefit of like getting to other parts of the world and meeting all these different musicians and living overseas for a while means that like often creative people i know are passing through south africa and many 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 people ask me like is there somewhere i can play yeah you know where can i where can i play can i organize a gig while i'm here you know and for a while i used to just direct them to ven- various venues and then there were no venues to direct them to and i thought shit it would be quite easy for me to say if it was just an informal structure to the venue to the the event i could just say oh great this guy from sweden is here right now i could put him on i could put nightlight collective on as a second set i could ask keenan iron so i could you know i could like this currency in knowing all these creative people you could help the scene by like bringing people together so that was the idea uh it's been going for almost two years shit two years now and yeah i mean we are i mean we're both in joburg now um and the orbit has just closed so it's it's a depressing time and and this isn't necessarily a great solution because it's not like we can pay the musicians a lot of money we've we're applying for funding to try to sort that out but generally it it's me and nicola we're the sound engineers we're the roadies we're the caterers we you know we do everything and um it's pretty it's hard work but at the end of every single concert i just feel extremely happy and grateful for all the beautiful musicians and audience members and it just gives you a really good feeling even though you feel like you might have a heart attack beforehand <laughs> i mean one of the thing one of the things that it does is you'll play i don't think you mentioned that is like it's not at a fixed venue you've been doing it sort of like house concerts you've been doing uh there was one that you had at Ian Burgess Simpson's uh piano factory or a couple that you had yeah. there so i say this also so for people who are listening who are who might mm-hmm. be based in the Joburg area who want to help or offer a house or offer a swimming and pool or whatever I mean, like the, I, we are ambitious we are ambitious girls <laughs> we like we want to do we've we've got some plans we've been selected for for a program right now we're, we're applying for some funding so we're going to see how it goes in terms of our plan for the for the year and like how many concerts we're actually able to do versus other kind of content generation and writing and other th- curatorial things but yeah i mean we're open to we've been talking about doing more stuff in maybe durban and all around the country obviously i have connections to mozambique and swaziland so it's a movable structure so if anyone is interested in performing or or even just has a concept a different kind of concept like we did this thing with the women's music collective last year so that was a different structure to the concerts but um that also worked out really really nicely and there were a bunch of musicians who i never heard of who kind of came out and and performed so we're pretty open and free the, just the the core thing for us is just uplifting the scene creating a space for audiences to listen to music they may not be familiar with or they may be familiar with i think there was a, a time when people were thinking it is kind of just for experimental music but it's not at all like that often what we say is cuz we don't have a huge we we're not able to give musicians a big fee if they want to try something out that they would not be able to do in a more commercial setting they are absolutely free they're completely free creatively they can do any experimental thing they want to do whether that's like sing sweet love songs on a guitar or <laughs> like the most hardcore like crowd rock ever they they it's open right. so so yeah so that's basically the idea we're super open to any like collaborations or any people who want to offer us a space money you know skills whatever it's just the two of us and it's is really exhausting but 
completely worthwhile. So we'll keep going and we're, yeah. Right. That's a good punt. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> so those are the questions that I ask everybody. And um, what I like doing at the end, if this is the first time anyone is listening to this, um, is that uh, I like to take uh, questions from the audience, as it were. Um, your rehearsal's at three, right? <laughs> Just checking. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've got a doozy one for you. Um, so Ooh. this is... Uh, so usually, if you have a question that you'd like to ask, you can contact me on Facebook or you can find me on Twitter at Bat Composer, or I'm on Instagram. Uh, if you like pictures of peanut butter and jam, apparently this was my latest thing, um, but it looked so smooth. Um, anyway, but uh, so this is not a question that was submitted to me, but one that I found on my various trips through the internet, and I figured this is actually quite a good one for you because these are worlds that you seem to float within the two. So brace yourself. As a composer, should one try to please the public or the academics? Dun, dun, dun. Um, hmm, interesting. Because I'm all three of those things. <laughs> right. um, I don't know if you should try to please anyone. Is my first <laughs> That's <thought>. my philosophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, I think, I think people get into being quite self-indulgent. And I especially see it in more experimental stuff. Um, and I don't really have a lot of time for that either, even though I guess people may say that about some of my concerts. <laughs> but um, I think everyone deserves some kind of thought and respect. I think audiences definitely, you know, they've shown us here in South Africa what happens when you don't engage with them or build them up or inform them or kind of support them or whatever. They just don't come out and then venues close. So, so that gives one, like, I don't know, pause. And in terms of academics, you know, people like to trash talk academics, but academics are mostly musicians who, who also know how to write <laughs> and are, you know, are, are like thoughtful people who are completely interested and passionate about the arts, if they're music academics or, or whatever. So I think that's also something to bear in mind. I mean, I can't think of many academics I know who don't have some ability to play, who and who know what the experience of performing is, whether they're professional performers or not, you know, whatever. But who also absolutely love music, like fucking love it. So so you really, I think it's worth thinking about what they have to say. They, you know, in ethnomusicology, which is technically where. I, where my work falls uh if you want to use that term or you just musicology that's a conversation for another day um but in african music research you know there's a lot of kind of people like to talk badly about academics and there have been a lot of super colonial and very destructive academic endeavors mostly i'd say they've mostly been destructive colonial endeavors but but also if i look at the young people i know who work in academia most of them are dancers and performers as well or musicians as well as well as writing about this. so they a lot of the time they actually come from the community they study also it's not the case in my my case but for a lot of people i know it's like that and um they really contribute something through their appreciation and their and their care and their thought they don't always get it right but um yeah so that's my feeling like i i have respect for all three parties 
But I also think if you worry about what people think too much, you stop making things. Yeah. And my rule for myself is make shit. Right. <laughs> so on that note, uh, <laughs> if there's anything that you have, like upcoming shows or stuff that you'd like to plug, or where where can they where's best to find you? Firstly, and secondly, if there's anything mm. that you need to plug or want to plug. Well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and kind of half-heartedly on Twitter and all those things. Um, yeah, you can listen to all my music online. It's on Spotify, Tidal, blah, blah, Apple Music, all of that. Um, if you want to buy a vinyl copy of my record, my recent record, that you can message me on any of those platforms. And I have stock, which is just arrived from the UK. So I am, it's around, it's either with me or it's with me and it's with a bunch of different record stores around the country. So... Uh, definitely get in touch about that um yeah in terms of gigs i mean i'm working on something right now i am potentially playing in swaziland in a couple of weeks but that's not confirmed yet um i'm going to the uk and probably playing in the uk in april uh there's stuff for the nightlight collective that's not confirmed yet but coming up in this year so definitely follow all those things also yeah and then betwixt check out betwixt i often play in it or play stuff for other people or some of my own music um yeah if anyone's interested in buying any musical instruments of which i have millions surrounding me right now um i've got a whole i sell instruments for the musicians i work with in swaziland so makoyan and like big musical bows a bunch of other all all different types of things a bunch of like metal guitars homemade things which is like a fiddle i've got a bunch of different things so yeah message me for things but lots of stuff <laughs> it's awesome so i think in in tradition of uh, for those of you who are listening who used to listen to uh, shortcast uh, I, I i we offer you the irish farewell 